So the first uh, big digital conference for progressives of the year has been moved to digital after the host uh, uh, venue, which was the uh, uh, CUNY, um, they uh, have canceled classes and uh, not, you know, nobody's holding conferences right now. Um, you can go to organizing2.0.org to check out the program uh, and also to register. Uh, and this is uh, really interesting to me because it's going to be the first, you know, if, if there are other conferences in the summer, in the fall that still need to be canceled uh, because of uh, concerns of contagion, uh, this will be a, a real trial run for how uh, these conferences uh, are organized. So uh, in, I'm interested to see, I'm planning to sign up. It's a two-day event. Now, you know, folks juggling work from home and family and uh, trying to stay indoors, you know, uh, going to a conference. If you're single, you should sign up today. As soon as you hear this, if you're a family person, make a plan because uh, I think it's going to be important. And I think as, as we'll talk more about uh, Richie, uh, organizing is going to change a lot this uh, cycle because at least uh, for the for the next month it's going to be primarily online yeah yeah I mean it's it's funny that we ran into this point of the presidential uh, election as well because there's one campaign well on the Democratic side uh, there's one campaign that seems like uniquely fit for digital organizing and that would obviously be the Bernie campaign. And then the Biden campaign is having difficulty figuring out how to live stream. And uh, <laughs> the, the Bernie campaign has been doing that for, you know, five years plus. Um, and so it just, it's funny that it seems that this is happening at a point where, you know, Bernie is about to head out uh, or, or is heading out of the race. But yet he is so... Not, not even from an issues standpoint, just his, his campaign as far as digital organizing goes. Um, but, but then to, to, to go off of that, um, you know, I think we've discussed this before about how, you know, the Bernie, Bernie Sanders in general has inspired a lot of people, um, but then has also inspired a lot of people to become, um, you know, more interested in, in the organizing space and more interested in uh, advocacy space. And so we, like with Sunrise uh, Movement and then other groups based in LA, I feel like we are uniquely apt to handle digital organizing because this is something that we've been focusing on over the past few years. And right. So one of the, the things that I've been thinking about a lot is in, in 2016, that was in 2016 and then the aftermath uh, and the kind of uh, autopsy of those campaigns, um, you, you learned that there were these uh, paid influence operations that work for the parties, particularly the Democratic Party, um, but also uh, there are foreign influence, uh, influence Russia. operations, Russia, but also, uh, you know, uh, Iran, uh, you also have Israel, you have uh, potentially China, uh, the United States, Saudi Arabia. Well, last week we did talk about uh, an article that was pointing out that most of these influence operations are domestic. Um, and they, they were kind of leaning towards like people spreading misinformation, but there's also very active uh, paid networks, it's very clear, like you can tell uh, when candidates are deploying them because their digital gets like so much better. Um, and I think 
one of the interesting things I've noted in the kind of Sanders versus everybody narrative is that once the Democratic Party consolidated around Biden, you saw you still saw sniping against all the other candidates, but general consolidation of the whole Democratic Party influence operation online, which is considerable around Biden. And then you had all the like the Bernie volunteers as well as the Bernie campaign. But uh, still, it's hard to compete with that full weight of these influence operations. So yeah, I, I think that organizers like Sunrise uh, kind of got famous online uh, by going viral twice uh, in quick succession, right? With uh, what were those Hello. two events? With uh, Nancy Pelosi, you know, the first day that Congress was back in session in 2018, with Nancy Pelosi um, sit, sitting in, oh, excuse me, Sunrise sat in in front of Nancy Pelosi's office. AOC came by, um, and that was just like amazing for all of us young folks and uh, and everyone involved in environmental justice. Um, but also, then Sunrise went. Uh, <laughs> this was this was even funnier. Um, because this was the truest form of generational divide that um, the internet has seen is Diane uh, when you know some kids from Sunrise went to Diane Feinstein's office and she was just completely dismisses dismissive of them and was like no I have a plan like well, I've been doing this for so long and and it's it's funny because. And with Sunrise, we like encourage the youth to get involved and like we want to uplift youth voices. And so there were a bunch of people online who were like, oh, these people are using these kids, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, like kids are actually like afraid of what is going on or what will happen to this world and what in the politicians inactivity. And so we do everything in our best power. And so what these people were doing, they were placing these kids in front of the politicians to actually vote for the children to voice their concerns. That's how we uplift children. Right. And, and Diane Feinstein was clearly dismissive. So it was, uh, I think the thing that made that such a viral moment also was it was young kids interacting with a, a uh, lifelong politician with a lot of power in the Senate and kind of being told like uh, it was, as you said, very dismissive. And the looks on their faces were kind of incredible as they realized that they were not, she was not communicating with them. She kind of just pressured no. them. Yeah. Um, so a couple of uh, more newsy bits I want to talk about uh, briefly. And then um, let's talk a little bit more about your point about that like the Sanders campaign would have been the perfect vehicle for uh, a digital organizing effort against Trump. Now all of a sudden we have the, the Democratic Party, which kind of, I, in my opinion, relies too much on, uh, on kind of uh, astroturfing online uh, and not enough on uh, true grassroots organizing. But where are the opportunities for organizers coming out of that? Let's hit these couple of, of, of newsy items. One is uh, recently uh, in response to uh, the pandemic, Amazon announced it's hiring 100,000 new employees uh, and also giving raises to its U.S. employees. Um, and at the same time that the stock market is crashing, we have uh, things like FedEx is, is rising from the low. Blue Apron stock went up like eight times <laughs> from the low um, because 
all of a sudden we're knocked into this reality of like uh, everything being done via delivery, but it also exacerbates this massive class divide, right? Because a $2 raise is an incentive for the people they're trying to hire, right? Yep. And uh, 100,000 people are going to be going into these uh, service worker jobs. It's, it's, they're not much more than minimum wage. That's barely, you know, not a living wage. Um, and, uh, you know, what, is, what does that mean? I, I, I feel like there's like a positive responses to a crisis and then because we're in like a black swan event where all of a sudden automation uh could uh radically accelerate because what's been holding it back has been the fact that they could get cheap labor and now amazon's saying like oh we we have to give a raise to get this cheap labor um what are some of the things you've been thinking about and and seeing in regards to like uh disaster capitalism versus you know opportunity for a paradigm shift well, this is this is our system working perfectly as 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 planned, right? Like this is this is democratic capitalism to a T. Like the the government is failing us, but then now we're relying on Amazon's going to bail us out, yeah, right? And then right. they'll get a bailout for doing it. Yep. I'm sure they already they did get the bailout. Yeah, they already did. Yeah, they didn't even pay taxes. Uh. So yeah, I mean that it's just like this has been. You know, and this is, it's like, I don't know if you've noticed this as well. And like your circles may be insulated already, but like, I've noticed like a lot of class consciousness come from people who like, weren't even politically active. And, and yeah. they're just like, wait, what the fuck? Like, well, because, so because, be because middle rude. class people are going to, they can shelter in place. They can work from home. And meanwhile, retail workers and service workers are all still out there on the front lines. They're delivering packages. They're delivering your food. And uh, people have to think about it. Those people are much more exposed uh, to uh, the, the contagion. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, dude, my mom, my mom works in a salon and like, you know, she's making the decision not to go to work anymore, which I'm so happy for. But the, the discussion that her and I had previously, but she was like, you know, this is how I make my money. Like, you know, if I don't work for a few weeks, like we're going to be in a tough spot. Um, and I'm like, fuck, like, I get it. Like, I'm just, I'm concerned about your health. And this is a conversation happening for hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people Million, in this country. In this, in this and, and like, and so our, our country is just letting us, our government is letting us down, but not even. And so this is another point. Like one, people are developing class consciousness, just like regular folks, but also people are recognizing that like, Donald Trump may have like started to screw this up, but are like the the systems, the power that be and the systems that are in place, like those that those have been working in this direction for a long time. This has been working in the direction since Bill Clinton, since George W. Bush, sort of since Barack Obama. We've just been well, like that. The one day supply chain or just in time supply chain is part of this uh, extreme capitalism where everything is on the tightest of margins, right? So Walmart can't stock things up because they're trying to get the absolute lowest prices and you know just hold just enough in the warehouses so they can get it shipped you know and sold directly to the customer and so we're, then we're seeing these weird uh shortages you know it's not just toilet paper it's also uh, meat it's uh <laughs> dairy products it's uh, uh fresh vegetables uh and fruits and so uh we have uh this is like kind of everything everyone said would be bad if if things went bad in our current system, and here we are. 
Yeah, and, and to bring it back to your point about Amazon uh, and about Amazon hiring these people, the, what, like, they're, what do you think they're hiring them for? They're, they're hiring them to work in the, in the shipment centers and to deliver these packages. Like, we aren't, they aren't hiring people to like, uh, work on like digital space or like. Right. Amazon's can- not, it's no longer a uh, technology company, even though that's, you know, they probably would call it. It's, it's basically a distribution company for goods. They're going back to their, uh, origin as a bookseller, but now they're doing groceries and they're, you know, they have their fingers in just about every business. So in terms of the government response, one thing that's really interesting is this uh, universal basic income versus stimulus. If you, for, I was around, and I know Matt was around for the first, uh, uh, not the first, the 2008 financial collapse. Hmm. Um, and that was, uh, you know, ultimately my folks lost their home. Many people, it was like everyone in this thing, like we're worried that, that everyone's going to know someone who dies, right? Like that's the fear. And that's probably like, uh, for me, I, I know it's a, one of the central things like to, to put it in perspective, right? In terms of statistics. In the foreclosure crisis, everyone you knew, someone lost their home, right? And it was almost like uh, it was an epidemic of financial collapse in uh, personal uh, wealth, personal security, like uh, being able to feel comfortable that someone can't take your home. Um, and then, you know, the government bailed out the top, they bailed out the banks, then they hmm. did bail out the car companies. And we saw this recently with, uh, with the Trump administration and the Fed and the Treasury, they still have these powers to bail out the financial system. But now we're talking about direct cash payments. And I don't know, Matt, if you want to get in on this one, too, because um, I think all three of us probably were friendly towards the idea of universal basic income, right. even if we had quibbles about uh, the particular plan presented by Andrew Yang. But now this is part of the conversation. But back in 2008, 2009, there was stimulus uh, checks, I believe. And they were just like extra, they felt like tax rebates or tax credits related to the economy, but they did not right. make anyone whole. They were basically enough to, and, and Obama basically campaigned on giving a rebate to, to regular taxpayers. And I knew that, and I voted for him in 2008, knowing that I would get an actual check in the mail after voting for him. So thoughts on, you know, like, is there opportunity here for shifting the conversation to talk about basic needs of workers being met and all people? Or are we going to get fucked by, you know, Trump doing something? Thing that makes him look great and then all of a sudden the republicans are the populists this is how fascism uh grows and triumphs in the vacuum that is created by centrist uh, liberals but what's yeah so what should they do so if we're you know we're adriel versus the oligarchs and we're trying to say okay there's this crisis there's uh there's these proposals like if only uh, example, there were a candidate uh running for president who uh, who was actually saying, let's give people $2,000 a month, non-means-tested, and do all of these other uh, incredibly pro-worker, uh, pro-democracy things in the meantime. Right, so Sanders has a program that yeah, is, that is he attractive. he absolutely has a program, yeah. and we know it's attractive because all of his shit is attractive uh, in the exit polls. So let's, mm. let's shift that a little bit, and, and Richie, maybe you, you want to jump in because... I think there's a really big problem, which is that the Sanders presidential campaign has no path forward. And I, we, you can argue that, but uh, it's statistically. So no, what right. do we do with the movement energy and what would we 
you know, as activists who are outside the presidential campaign but aligned with it, say, like, what should Bernie Sanders do? Because he, it's, it's almost like, you know, the movement needs to be mature enough to have a sense of direction. And is it, you know, is it this, this uh, multi-point proposal around response to the virus or is it, you know, something else? Well, here, here's the thing. I'll, I'll, I'll paint, I'll paint two, I'll paint two uh, pictures for you. One briefly, and Matt was kind of hitting it on it already. We are about to enter a recession and possibly something worse than the Great Depression. Um, and so we we have to, you know a variety of different ways to go. But one way is that the the right outflanks the left on economic policy, and so the right starts starts hitting on things, and they become economic populist and then you think about what happened with uh, Nazi Germany they were na national socialist working party um, and they um, and, and they were in Germany was in a fi financial ruins at the time and that's how Hitler came to power and that's a really dangerous thing for us to remember in this country right. but then we also for another path is and this is where well your point of Bernie Sanders and activists come in how we use that power think about how we're going to enter into this this um you know economy where which is destroyed and where people are going to be living on the streets looking for work and so think about fdr and how um we got ourselves out of the great depression interest rate interest rates were really low we are we were able to run a, a deficits we were borrow money from the government and as we've proven over the past week or so fucking money is made up and we can right, just right. whatever you want to put well, you heard me rant i think it was with uh ben dixon about the uh how the green new deal could be put into place in like two years in this type exactly of environment. exactly yeah. and so that, that that's where i was going with this um you know fdr implemented a bunch of work programs and and he got back people back to work for you know for world war ii and all that stuff but if we think about it this way um, right now, uh, the Fed has zero, the interest rates at zero or, or negative interest rates. And we have an economy that's suffering. We have people looking for work. We need to actually transform our economy to not be reliant on, on these sources that have failed us right now. And one way to do that is the Green New Deal. And honestly, the Green New Deal is one, a winner with the people. And if we truly as a country and if Democrats honestly want to want to fix this shit a green new deal will because it will get people all we need to do because interest rates are so so low right now we need to run large deficits at the moment we right. need to borrow money and we need to put people back into work and we need to rebuild our infrastructure and so this will create a new economy and it will get us going you know we don't have any like high high speed rail experts in this country thinking about how to build high speed rails we we like our building codes are so out of date we need to figure out how to transform our buildings where they're more economically compatible uh, and so all of right these well because in San Francisco it costs like several hundred thousand dollars to put up one unit and that doesn't work when you actually need to house people exactly exactly and so and like you said I think Sanders but dropped how, out at some yeah, point yeah. and this is this is where it's going to be a two-way street for Democrats how do they appeal to the Sanders campaign but Bernie Sanders and his supporters like are a motivated bunch like and they and democrats have to have to figure out how to tap into that but bernie sanders can use that power and like 
start demanding Medicare for all. Start right. Well, so so deal. here's yeah, I absolutely agree because I've thought when someone says my campaign is is to be the organizer in chief, uh, it you can still be the organizer in chief because there isn't one. So right, uh, and, right. and no one is exactly. running to be the organizer in chief. So exactly. uh, that exactly. it seems like a, a great opportunity to uh, and and the infrastructure with our revolution exists. Uh, I hope. You know, DSA, I don't want to see sunrise, things in, yeah, DSA Sunrise. I don't want to see it co-opted. Um, and I almost think like weirdest thing about this campaign has been, the presidential campaign has been that Biden was able to turn it around without uh, a huge amount of spending. He did have a super PAC, but everybody did. And, and they didn't all turn it around. It was literally, as soon as the message got heavily distributed, if you're a Democrat, vote Joe Biden. Uh, it aced out Sanders, who is historically an independent. And in the general election, that would have been stronger. But right now, we basically have three. They're not. There's two parties, which are a party is just a legal financial entity. It's just a, it's just a creation on paper, but it's also what people believe it is. And what we have to do is transform the Sanders. Uh, campaign and all of the aligned movements into much more of a cohesive vehicle for pushing policy. Like, for example, if we were all pushing Green New Deal, it would just happen. Like, we wouldn't have to look for a leader to do it because it would yeah. be so pervasive. The same way everyone knew we had to take out Michael Bloomberg because that was totally yep. unacceptable for a billionaire to buy their way straight in the presidential contest. And we can argue, you know, I hate it that the other candidates, including Joe Biden, are heavily financed by billionaires. But in the system we have, the worst thing possible would have been a billionaire buying the election outright with their own money, not even taking donations. Because right now, for example, the Sanders movement or the greater movement that the Sanders campaign is a part of and has been a focal point for um, could raise uh, huge amounts of money to finance campaigns. And we've proven that. And so now we just have to figure out, like, where does that go next? Okay. Last word uh, to you, Richie. Yeah. And, and, and so I think like, you know, we take the infrastructure, the leftist infrastructure that we have now. And like you said, Adriel, and I don't know, and this may be, honestly, you and I may have an unpopular opinion, but the maturity aspect of what do we do with the movement? Mature movement takes this L, realizes that the coalition in itself was not big enough to take on the democratic establishment, which is fine, but we have a very large movement itself. And what do we do with that power and with that energy? Do we say fuck everything and burn everything down? Or do we say we demand a Green New Deal and we demand a Medicare for all, we do some online organizing and we figure out how to get shit done? Awesome. Thank you. I endorse Sounds, that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.